Welcome to a very special Apple Cup edition of the Boyd Meets World podcast. We're breaking down the 110th Apple Cup, where Washington State has a chance to win the Pac-12 North, and the Dogs have a chance to play spoiler. We're going to break down the Apple Cup in three different ways. I'll talk to Michael Stanton and discuss the low-key, epic, high-key, scary Utah win. Uh, we'll follow that up with the incomparable Sam Schilling to break down the Mike Leach air raid offense with insight I promise you can't get anywhere else. And lastly, Boyd Meets World will go truly international by calling Jack Seidel from London, England to talk about the best Apple Cups in recent memory. I gotta say, folks, this is the best one yet. Here we go. All right, here with Michael Stanton talking dogs once again. We're on the hot streak. Uh, kept this going for a few weeks in a row. Proud of us one more time. Uh, Stanton, how are we doing tonight? Doing great. I uh, was able to get home through the uh, Seahawks traffic, which is currently happening right now. So uh, I'm just thankful to get through all the 12s tonight. Yeah, we are we are that decade of dog fans that we talk through the uh the seahawks game so so that's that's who you're dealing with here uh usually like frolic like are you are you skipping on your way home because you're so excited to talk with dogs you're kind of you kind of trudging so that i I don't uh i don't have to call you no i i yeah i'm skipping i actually tell everybody i pass on the sidewalk that i'm going to talk to my friend brandon about husky football there we go we gotta get you little uh like url cards that you know yeah yeah Listen here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we'll work on that. Um, so, yeah, it was a wild one over over Utah this past weekend. Uh, 33-30, dogs come out on top. Uh, obviously, there's a pretty big game coming up this weekend, so we'll, we'll talk about that as well. Um, but we always start our podcast podcast off with uh, with our opening drive. We'll go four downs. Uh, last couple of weeks, we've just done two downs to kind of keep it down for size. We'll do that again. First down is always yours. Stan, what do you got? Um, just my overall thoughts about the game. Um, I think the offense was, was, you know, money at times. Other times they were kind of cold. Uh, I mean, the biggest news was that Jake Browning, uh, set the all time passing touchdown record of 77 for UW surpassing Keith Price at 75. Um, he had a great stat line, uh, 354 yards, 26 for 35 and two touchdowns. But, uh, 108 of those came in the final minute or so. Um, there was points I thought that he could have been better. Um, he had some some missed throws um, throughout the game, but I think I think when it comes down to it, it might just be the surrounding cast. Uh, he doesn't have John Ross this season as he did last season, and a lot of Dante Pettis' success last season was because everybody keyed on on Ross. So I think it was apparent last week and a bit this week that Pettis has kind of been marked out of the game in a way um so that was a bit disappointing um but with that said you can't overlook an all-time uh record like that being set uh additional to that miles gaston was bottled up a little bit on the ground on 17 carries for only 52 yards but he made up for it in a big way on the receiving end catching six balls for 114 yards and a touchdown and that touchdown was for 76 yards so uh, he was able to find a way to get it done, um, this time through the air. So that's, uh, that's always positive. And I think he actually set a, set a, uh, touchdown record, a UW touchdown record as well. Do you, it wasn't it 38 touchdowns? Gaskin? Yeah, he's, he's now yeah. the, uh, the career record holder. 
Okay, yeah. So so big day for the record books uh, for Husky football. Um, yeah, he, he passed uh, Brennan Johnson and Brennan Yakubowski for that record. Yeah, yeah. Outstanding players those yeah. guys were. Oh, yeah. Um, and then uh, in a more kind of a head-scratcher sense, uh, Savon Ahmed only got two touches this week for seven yards, similar yeah. to him getting, I think, maybe one touch last week. Yeah, so yeah. That, w- that was a bit confusing. Especially considering Peterson made a point this week to say that they were going to try and get him more involved, and he's too good, he's too good of a player to not get him involved. And it's just it's just weird, you, you know. If if it's it's fine if that never got brought up, but to to make that point and then to not have it happen is strange. Yeah, it it was odd, but I, mean, I guess at the end of the day, it didn't didn't make a difference. We still won, but. Uh, Kind of a unfortunate day for the defense. Uh, they gave up 410 yards on the night, which is the most that we've given up this season. We gave up 406 last week to Stanford, so we've been faltering a bit in that department. Um, and you, you would have thought we would have seen an uptick uh, somewhat with the inclusion of Byron Murphy back from injury. Uh, he was out for multiple weeks with a leg injury, so he was back, which is good uh, long-term. But uh, I was a little disappointed in that regard. Uh, but I think the big main point that I want to make is the Kyle Winningham final drive clock management, um, which was he, he helped us manage the clock. In my opinion, yeah, he he really did. He we had the ball with like I think thirty seconds left or somewhere around there. We had no timeouts. We were on our own thirty, and we ran for two yards with Miles Gasson, basically conceding the fact that we were going to go to overtime with these guys, thirty to thirty. And Winningham calls a timeout and. The thing about the timeout is there was no mathematical way that he actually could have stopped the clock and gotten the ball back before regulation expired. So it was just a pointless timeout. But after that timeout, we went 18 yards to Pettis to our own 48, and then 31 yards to the air to Pichelli to Utah's 21. And at that point, Tristan Piscano hit the 38-yard field goal to win it. So really uh, poor choice on Whittingham's part, but thank you very much. Yeah, and we had talked about earlier how uh, you know Whittingham has had some some gutsy calls throughout the season. He, he went for two in, in an opportunity late in the game to beat USC, didn't get it, and then uh, you know obviously this one. This isn't this is, but that was you know like we talked about earlier. That was that was Utah's best chance to win the Pac-12 South. This was just this was dumb. There was there was no way, as you said, for for him to get the ball back. Uh, in any kind of time, so it was just it was taking a timeout, for lack of a better term, just to kind of be a dick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there was no point to it. So, uh, our buddy Caleb Clearman called me after the game and and said the star of the game was actually he said what are the three who are the three stars of the game and all three of them were Kyle Whittingham in his, in his eyes. So did did he um, ask yeah, you that or did you ask him that? He asked me that and then immediately and I responded. Scano and he said no. Whittingham, Whittingham, Whittingham. Yeah, um, Caleb will get referenced again for for other texts that he sent over through the course of the night. So yes. um, hang in there, Mr. Clearman. But uh, yeah, that was, it was a strange game, you know, for a lot of reasons. I, I think, you know, the, the instant was, you know, what a, what a classic, what a, what a finish, but on deeper inspection, that game should never have been that close. We were up, we were what, 18 point favorites. Um, you know, it was a team that was hemorrhaging yards on the ground throughout the season. And we really couldn't get miles Gaskin going throughout that game. So it was, it was a weird one, which this whole season's kind of been weird. I'll admit, though, the special teams really killed us. Um, you know, they had that uh, that onside kick, I think it was in the first half, where they got the ball back uh, immediately. 
And Peterson actually said that they were prepared for that. They just didn't set up the, the kickoff coverage correctly on that one. So that was one play. And then the fourth and 17 on their own, on Utah's own 20 something, and the punter actually runs for a first down. Yeah. Uh, first of all, uh, that's remarkable that he would do that. If that's Winningham or the punter deciding that, that's just crazy to me. I mean, I think if you go for it on fourth down in your own territory, it better be, you know, within five yards. He's, Austra- he's, he's Australian, man. He, he is an absolute wild card. Those, yeah, those people are, are just. We'll see what happens with those people. Yeah, well, we have one of our own and Joel, Joel Whitford, so uh, who knows? We can see something weird from him going forward. But yeah. yeah, so those two plays were definitely huge plays. I think uh, I think Utah went down and scored a touchdown on that drive. Um, yep. So that obviously changes the game there. So so that made it a bit closer, but overall, I think the defense you would have liked to see them perform at a higher level than they did this week. Yeah, definitely, and 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 it's just kind of been weird. You, you alluded to the turnovers, and just we talked about that last week. With it's just been it's been hard to stop teams this year. We haven't we haven't had the the ability to to rush the passer enough or create turnovers. And you know these offenses are so good. You saw Tyler Huntley kicking ball. If if you if you don't turn him over, if you don't sack him, um, he's just going to keep moving the, the ball down the field. And that's what we saw with Utah. Uh, up until the end of that game, so um, yeah, I think it's been said what 19 times now, but it, it's it was it was a weird one Saturday. Uh, anything else for your drive or for your for, for your uh, first down? No, no, that's that's it for my down. Go ahead, take a second. Yeah, um, well, I wanted to do a little bit of a of a Jake Browning appreciation, and this this one is is also in response to something Caleb said. So thank you, Caleb, for providing us with so much content to deal with. Uh, Caleb was on. Um, uh, Caleb took NBA bartender to the to the whole next level. We we think that's the suspicion, and and just had some just some fiery hot takes that he was sending across group texts all over all over America. Really, one of them being that Jake Browning is is quote unquote garbage. And I, I get this sentiment from other people, just kind of from from reading the the Twitter tea leaves that people are upset with Browning, and and you know it hasn't been his best season. And you know what about these freshman quarterbacks coming in next year? And it's like, can we just stop? He, Jake Browning is the best quarterback that has been at UW since Marcus Tuiasosopo. Granted, I don't know if Jake Browning is enough at, at this current edition of this team to take this team to the, to the national title level that we all want them to get there. However, he's a key, pivotal part of this program. And I think, by my count, there were at least seven teams, if not eight teams in the conference, who would absolutely like do backflips to get Jake Browning as their quarterback. Am I crazy at that? No, I think that's very accurate. Yeah, Browning was, you know, that going to that last drive, back against the wall. We saw it twice this season where where he couldn't make it happen against ASU, well, I guess more against Stanford, um, in that sort of situation. But back against the wall, fourth and ten, converts, and then from that moment, he's seven of eight for 105 yards to end the, end the game. And I mean, there's, the resolve there was something that I think people have been will, ready to see out of Browning for a long time. He's a guy that, you know, it's kind of those those pretty numbers and a lot of blowouts racking those up. But this one was the first time where I feel like he really earned uh, earned a win and, and came out and got a win on his own and really took over. And it was refreshing to see because, as we talked about last week, we've kind of faltered every time we faced adversity this year. Other than other than I guess if you count the first half of the Rutgers game, but you know, obviously. Arizona State and Stanford, we ended up losing those games. But in this case, we actually came back and won a game, um, which is not common this season or last season because we're usually leading 
Um, and if we're not leading, we've lost. So, uh, yeah, it was great to see him take over and really uh, lead the team down the field and, you know, obviously end up making a difference there at the end. So uh, that was great to see. Yeah, as far as the Rutgers, Rutgers game, everyone who is in New Jersey is constantly facing adversity all the time. So, Very true. For, you know, when your governor is Chris Christie, it's it's really hard to – uh, to have things just go go smoothly for you, so uh, that w- that one is is all relative adversity relative to what we saw. I mean, beating a you know, clutch drive to beat Utah is really not that exciting, um, but I do think that it was a big moment uh, for Browning's career and to to really put it into perspective of, of how uh, you know with certainly his flaws. Guy's not the the bullet armed quarterback that I think uh, a lot of people expect him to be at this point in his career, but um, he he is a, a pivotal part of of this program turnaround. Anyways. Uh, Utah game wasn't an amazing game as far as like the first, I don't know, 55 minutes, but it ended up in a pretty cool way. Where does it rank in terms of like greatest games at, at Husky stadium that, that you can remember? Uh, I don't even think it's in my top five. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. I, uh, yeah, there's definitely some other ones. I, I have a list if you want me to go through it. I mean, as Please. great as the ending was, I was actually not very happy throughout a lot of that game, um, just because I thought we were playing below our standard of football. But Please do. Um, give us this list. Okay, okay. So, number one, and and keep this in mind, I only went back like till like maybe 1990-ish when okay. I did this research. So, number one for me was 2009. Uh, September 19, 2009, USC at UW. We uh, won 1-13 in, in the previous 14 games. We just come, come off a win against Idaho. It was against a uh, number three overall ranked USC team that Pete Carroll was coaching at the time. And uh, uh, Husky legend Eric Folk ended up kicking the game-winning field goal. And everybody rushed the field. It was one of the greatest moments of my life, probably. I hugged a random like 45-year-old as, like, I don't know, just sitting next to me, just embraced him for a good minute. Um, it's a long just, time. Just, yeah, yeah. It was, it was weird. It, yeah, no, it was, no, you, it you just needed him in that moment. <laughs> I needed him, <laughs> yes. Uh, but um, actually, one thing I, I realized I forgot about when looking that up is Aaron Corpse started at quarterback for USC. Oh, yeah. Barclays. Oh, yeah. So that, that was helpful. It's a big asterisk anyways, on that game for sure. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, number two was a game that uh, I was not even one years old when this game happened, but it can't be forgotten in this list. And that would be when number 12, Nebraska, came into town to face number two, UW. It was, this might sound incredible to you, to listeners, but it was the first night game at Husky <laughs> Stadium back in 1992. The, Big deal. They're going to talk about, well, if football is still around in, in like, you know, 2032, they're going to be like, it was the one of the last day games in Husky football history. <laughs> yeah. 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 But also an, an interesting part about the game, it, it's, it's the highest ever recorded, uh, like sound decibel level at a college football game in history, 133.6. And I, uh, did a little research here and I found that the hearing pain threshold is 120 decibels. So, uh, you're actually damaging your hearing if you're in the stadium that night. That's awesome. But, uh, yeah, so they ended up, uh, after that win, UW ended up moving into the number one overall ranking uh, in the country the following week. So that's obviously a major deal. Uh, number three for me was, uh, and this might be a little bit of a wild card, but it was 
September of 2001, where we were ranked 15th and we knocked off number 11, Michigan, 23 to 18. That was a game where Omari Lowe had like two massive plays. He's defensive back for us back in the day. Um, he blocked a field goal that was returned for a touchdown, and he also returned an inter- interception for a touchdown. Um, it was a classic Rick Neuheisel Lloyd Carr matchup. You remember Lloyd Carr back in those Michigan days? So that was a great game. Um, and then number four for me was in 2000 when number four Miami came to town and we knocked him off 34 to 29. That was a game that featured Santana Moss, who was like the best play, the best receiver in college football that season. Uh, he was unreal and held him to one catch for seven yards. Uh, also in the game was Reggie Wayne at wide receiver, Ken Dorsey at quarterback, and Clinton Portis at running back. Uh, for us, we had Tuiasa Sopo, Jeremy Stevens, Rich Alexis, and Paul Arnold, to name a few. So those those are my top four. I think the Mason Foster Immaculate Interception yeah. uh, is close behind that, and then maybe this game slightly behind that. But I don't know. I just As great as it is to win up in the last second, uh, there was a lot of that game where I was like not very happy with our play, so it's yeah. hard for me to get all excited about that one. Yeah, fair enough. I I came up with some more that were uh were kind of off the beaten path. You 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 put in some of the like you know if if Fusky Football ever made a documentary about about this, they put those in there. But I I have some kind of yep. obscure ones. Um, four nice. four more that'll fit in real well. Okay. Ari- the Arizona Immaculate Reception. Um. Benefit of replay, I think if you had replayed that, that 400 times, you'd be like, eh, I think that went off the ground. So it wouldn't have happened. Uh, but it didn't, and a replay didn't exist at that level at that point. Uh, and Mason Foster caught it off a dude's foot uh, to to end that game or to put us ahead in that game, which was which was just awesome. And especially during that game, you felt like Nick Foles was just cramming screen passes down your throat. Yeah, uh, and there that was, was unbelievable. Nothing that could be done to stop it until something like that happened. So uh, I've never forgotten how many screen passes they they threw that they threw that game. Oh, that it was it was it was unbelievable. It was it was um it was like they were breathing and, and throwing screen passes all week. But it was carving us up, and uh, Mason Foster figured out a way to to break it up. Next one was uh, this one's a little bit of again kind of in the weird weird zone, but the Oregon State game in 2010 um, where. It was in overtime, and Oregon State scored a touchdown trying to tie it, and there an extra point would have tied it. Decided to go for two, um, and then Court Dennison, bless his soul, uh, do it or uh, batted the ball out of a of a would be Oregon State receiver's hand to to end the back game. Zone, yeah. Yep, back of the end zone. Um, so that was that was a fun one. I was there with with uh, with our buddy Jordan. Um, for that one, I think that's the game that he decided he wanted to go to Oregon State. So pivotal moment in in his lifetime there two three three more weird ones uh the first one being the fresno state game in 2006 uh oh boy who could forget go ahead is this the caesar rayford block it sure is baby caesar rayford blocks a pat that would have tied the game uh uw can take knees at the end of the game and, and end that game uh, that game put UW at four and one to start the season with our with Isaiah Stanback, who was the Husky legend last week um, before he got hurt, and they finished five and seven. So those those Pat Hill Pat Hill led Fresno State teams back then were pretty good. Yeah, yeah, they they were. Those are the teams that I mean, uh, you think about that. You close your eyes, Fresno State, Pac Pac ten. You think Reggie Bush doing the uh, the crazy move on the sideline there, but. Uh, that Fresno State team was competing in that game, actually, and, and until Bush cracked it open with that play. So 
Uh, those teams were, were nothing to joke about back then. This one is kind of in the, the sad Utah game category where the game should not have been this close. But it was when America met Vernon Adams and Eastern Washington came into town and made it way too close of a game to open the 2011 season uh, before Desmond Trufant picked a, picked a game-winning interception off. Uh, that was that was a classic, even though it probably shouldn't have been. And then the last one, I'm asking you if this counts, the Stanford game in 2012 where everyone rushed the field at Quest Field. Yes, I, I, I remember that. That was, uh, I think, a Thursday or Friday night game. Yeah, it was it was a it Thursday. Was like five o'clock, and I I had class up in Bellingham, and I had to get down to that one. And I didn't have my ticket with me. I was getting it from the people I was sitting with. Mm-hmm. So I actually had to, and they were late. So I had to stand outside for like the first seven minutes of the first quarter, just waiting for them to bring my ticket. It was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do in my life: is stand outside of a stadium while a Husky football game is going on inside of it. I, I knew guys who chose to go to class instead of going to that game um, because they didn't think we were going to win. Uh, so wow. so it could be worse, trust me. Uh, and if you're listening, wow. gentlemen, uh, I'll never forgive you for that one. Uh, yeah, that one that one was not at Husky Stadium, but that one was a great one. You had the Casey Williams uh, kind of bursting onto the field oh. performance. Um, yeah, the, the Alvin Kamara actually just repeated this over the weekend, but uh, Casey kind of caught one, fumbled in midair, and then turned it into a big gain. Um, and then had a had a breakaway touchdown himself in that game as well. So, yeah, that one, that was a, that was a fun one. It was um, certainly weren't expecting to win that game. It was kind of the the fledgling Sark program, uh, but that was a that was a big big one for getting the the kind of micro momentum in that those Sark days. So, that's uh, you know kind of as a, this kind of made me realize there haven't been a, a ton of just epic games at Husky Stadium. No, no, but those are some great finds. Yeah, yeah, it's that's what happens when you have this, you know, you have think time to think when you're watching, you know, Tyrone Willingham destroy a program over five years and put these things yeah, into perspective. Yeah. A lot of time. Oh yeah. Um, so this this week is uh, is special. This is the Apple Cup. This is the 110th Apple Cup. Um, quick fact about the Apple Cup: the first five were played at Denny Field, and anyone who went to University of Washington knows that that's preposterous because Denny Field is like, uh, I don't know, like a like a pig pen, essentially. So yeah, it's a big grass field, kind of north of the North Lawn. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's 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 way up um, by by the Greek community. Burger Master, basically. Yeah. Well, there's that. Well, that's that's one Denny Field, but then there's also the one up like in campus. That's that's oh. yeah. It's okay. it's it's pretty bad. And imagining that college football was once intended for maybe an audience of like a hundred people, um, it just is is nuts compared to what we what we have now. So. Um, there's some quick Apple Cup facts for you there. Um, but what is your favorite Apple Cup uh, that you can remember? The favorite, favorite, obviously, probably win, right, if we're talking favorite Apple Cups? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, I actually have three for you. Okay. You don't mind me listing them off. I don't. Uh, I'll, start at, I'll start at three just to build a suspense a little bit. Um, that would be the 2009 Apple Cup where you'd have shut the Cougs out at home 30 to nothing. It was the first Apple Cup shutout in 45 years and the first shutout the Huskies had posted since 1997 Nice. Um, in general. Quick, so that was obviously – yeah, go for it. Quick note on that game. Uh, I, I really enjoyed that game because the prior Apple Cup was the shittiest game in football history. Uh, the, yep. the 2008 Apple Cup featuring the – I believe it was one in, one in nine one Cougars – 
versus the the O and eleven Huskies. Um, the Crapple Cup. The Crapple Cup. The, the the Apple Cup or Apple Full of Worms game. And then so the next for the next year for us to to thoroughly stomp Wazoo was was a good sign. A fun fact about that game as well is it sealed a one and eleven Paul Wolf uh, led Cougar teams um, that year, and it also meant that the Cougs never led in regulation that entire season. They ended up only leading in overtime versus SMU, the game that they won that season. So uh, thought that was kind of absurd. That's nuts. But, uh, moving to number two, it would be the two thousand three. Apple Cup uh, at Husky Stadium. Number number eight WSU came into town, and we knocked them off 27-18. This included a 21-yard touchdown with a minute 14 left from Cody Pickett to then-freshman Corey Williams um, to take the lead. And then uh, we sealed it on the following drive with a Marquise Cooper pick six for 38 yards. Yeah, so uh, that's, that's, that, a, that's it was a great... 19 to 14, 19 to 14, and then... Um, we put on, you know, 21 to 19 with a minute or so left, minute 14, and then 27 to 19, um, on that final drive. So quite the turnaround there in the final couple of minutes. Yeah. That's a great, then, uh, great YouTube find yeah. if, if you ever want to oh, yeah. revisit yeah. that one. Rondo loses his mind per yeah. usual. So that's always great. Extremely grainy um, footage. It looks like you're playing like tech mobile watching that footage, but, uh, it's worth yes. it. <laughs> and then number one for me would be the year before 2002, um, when UW was unranked on the Palouse against uh, number three ranked uh, WSU, and we beat them in three overtimes, 29 to 26. This game ended kind of on a weird note in the third overtime. Um, Kai Ellis, who is our defensive tackle at the time, uh, recovered a backwards pass. He basically, um, I don't even remember who the quarterback was on this team, but on WSU, but he, it was like a pass to the flat that was technically backwards. And Ellis came through the line and literally batted it out of air, out of the air as he was throwing it, and uh, got it on the ground. Recovery, game over. Um, but the big deal about that game was uh, not only did the Huskies win the Apple Cup, but they actually knocked Wazoo out of national title game potential, mm-hmm. uh, talk. Because at that point, there was actually another game left. It was not the last game of the season, which I don't understand at all. So there was still chance for the two teams ahead of them. Uh, to lose so that basically eliminated them from national title contention um, so that is my number one what yeah you yeah that's that's uh i had the the 09 one a little bit lower like a lot lower um and i had the okay. two, 2010 one that helped us get into a bowl game the uh the, uh, the chris polk rampage game um i had that one a little bit higher and then uh yeah i agreed with you on the top the top two i think that's a that's a clear clear number one and number two games in history um. Yeah. How could you forget Matt Kegel? By the way, quarterback for for Wazoo in that game. Oh, yeah. um, Are you sure it wasn't Lobostall? <laughs> it was not Lobostall, <laughs> but Josh Schwager started the game. So. Oh my god. Um. Yeah. That was uh. Well, those neither of those guys were a part of the plan. That was the um the Jason Gesser year where he got hurt late in the year. Um, yeah, it was the usual. You know, this is the tenth game of the year, so we're on our third string. Yeah, right. Just it's just what happens. It's it's cheese, quarterback injuries, and and uh, I don't know what else in Pullman. To be honest with you, um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, and uh, so yeah, that was that was a huge one. That was the uh, the Nate Robinson pick game. Um, yeah. That was I think that was Mike Price's last Apple Cup before he went on to um, bigger and more illegal things in in Alabama. Um, <laughs> 
So didn't even see a game as a head coach. Yeah, in, incredible career, um, Mr. Mr. Price there. Um, so he ended up at UTEP, my God. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was that's that's a that's a great list. That's that's basically about it. What it is. There's been plenty of heartbreak in the in the Apple Cup as well. Um, let's hope it's it's more the the former, not the latter, um, where we have have a classic on our hands or just a just a good old fashioned beatdown, but. Um, definitely the apple cup has has led to some some absolutely treacherous moments is there one in particular that you felt the shittiest after just one just gut-wrenching apple Um, cup there was the one i'm remembering right now i can't remember what year but it was probably like 2011 or something like that it was over in pullman and i think we lost either an overtime or the like really late in the game and i remember I just was watching at home by myself, and I remember turning the game off, and it was like probably five in the evening, and I just went to bed. I, did, <laughs> I you know, I turned off my phone, um, went to bed, and uh, just tried to forget about it. Yeah, so, that would be that would be 2012. That is the what I like to refer to as the the Keith Price the Keith Price hand grenade game, where he threw an interception <laughs> that was literally just straight up in the air. <laughs> yeah, didn't didn't someone like track the runner down to save the game? like the returner down to save the game. Yeah, that uh, seems like a Paul Homer thing to do. I don't even know if he was playing yeah, in that game. Like but a, like a, just a role player type yeah, guy. Yeah, um, it's probably Nick Holt, actually, that did that from <laughs> from the sideline. That was the only way yes. he, he could actually stop anyone. But, uh, yeah, uh, yeah there, there's, there's been a couple. The 2007 game, the Brandon Gibson game, the the um, the Alex Brink five-touchdown game, yeah. um, that, one, that one comes to mind. The 2008 stinker. Uh, there's there's been plenty, but not not recently. Chris Peterson's undefeated in Apple Cup, three and zero, going into his fourth game here. Uh, before we head out of here, do you have a favorite Apple Cup joke? You know, I'm actually like sort of anti trash talking in a way. Like I hate I hate uh, Coogs giving me crap about stuff, so I try to avoid it. I, I know that's like sounds really boring, but like I have some friends that are that have texted me stuff this week stuff and that against the Huskies and I've just disregarded it haven't even responded so I'm like the last person you want to ask that question probably I, I've got one and well there's there's the Don James one which is just like the classiest one ever of like true go, going to Washington State prepares you to not expect a whole lot in your life um, that's just that's just like classic Don James like he probably didn't even smile as he said that um, <laughs> but then there's the the much like more lewd one that I like to tell and that's why wasn't Jesus born in Pullman mm-hmm. I've heard this one a few times uh, God couldn't find three wise men or a virgin anywhere and I, <laughs> the thing about the thing about those rivalry jokes is like you can you can plug and play it so it's like Ohio State and Michigan tell the same joke but just switch them um, yeah. so it's just basically like who can make the most like effed up template for a joke and then everyone else uses it so yeah. um, I, I like that one especially uh, I've been to Pullman, lovely place. Um, almost slept in a car there in like eight degree weather. Um, so nice. I, I was welcomed it, welcomed in with open arms by Kook fans to, to let me stay in, in not my car, which was, which is great news. Um, so I, I, I really don't have any like super, you know, malicious thoughts towards them, but, uh, a good rivalry is, is, is good. And I think I've always said that, that Washington state being good is, uh, is good for the conference. Agreed. Until the until the weekend after Thanksgiving. Yes, yeah. I'm I'm honestly pretty nervous about this weekend. Uh, I'm 
been trying to just not think about the game. So hopefully yeah. I'll just forget about it and wake up on Saturday and be like, oh, yeah, I have to go to that thing. Well, uh, this will be our first first game together that we've had in a while, so we'll we'll uh, we'll track each other down and and uh, hopefully have some good tidings before the game, and then some some even happier ones afterwards. Yeah, agreed. Should be a good time. Cool. All right. Well, thank you, brother, for for coming on. This will be our last regular season edition of of uh, of the pod, and getting kind of choked up a little bit here. Um, but uh, we'll sneak a few in. Maybe maybe get a husky basketball one here or there. Oh, yes. Plenty to talk about. Recruiting's coming around the corner. That's that's your forte. So uh, you are not getting rid of us, folks. Promise you that. Uh, Stan, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. We'll yeah. talk soon. All right, I had our next guest on last week to discuss the streaking Boston Celtics, but he's so gosh darn knowledgeable, uh, so I got him for another topic today. He studies at the church of Mike Leach, and he'll break down the Wazoo offense in a way that really helps the, the fan understand what they're seeing. You're going to like this one. All right, here to break down the Mike Leach air raid offense is my man Sam Schilling. Sam, how are we doing? Yeah, uh, I think everyone who listened last week, so all nine people, are super confused because I had you on to talk about the Celtics, and you're you're fantastic at that. Uh, but if you know Sam very well, you know he he just he goes all in on whatever uh, he is fixated on. So he's he's you know he's one of those guys that just kind of you know can can absorb a ton of information and just a wealth of knowledge. So love having him on. Uh, but so in addition to being my guy to talk about the Celtics, you're also a huge fan of Mike Leach's offensive style and philosophy. So how the hell did you become the biggest Mike Leach fan outside of Pullman, Washington? Yeah, well, it started, I've been really fascinated with Chip Kelly, and I really bought into the whole tempo and, um, you know, pace kind of thing, and I really thought that was going to be a game changer and kind of like, you know, um, a third dimension to play football in. And when I was doing my digging with that, I came up across a book, and it was called uh, A Perfect Pass by this uh, journalist, S.C. Gwynn, and it kind of goes through, and it's focused on Hal Mummy, but uh, Mike Leach became an assistant under Hal Mummy um, during Hal Mummy's uh, first head coaching college job at a Division II school in Iowa, and it's really well written and really interesting, and it's kind of a history of uh, football, but it also uses a lot of like um, you know diagrams of plays, uh, which I really liked. And so since then, and with Chip Kelly not coaching this year, I like having uh, teams that I follow pretty closely, you know, with the press conferences and staying up to date with that. So with the run that Washington State's been making, um, it's been really fun to keep up with them, and I can get most of their games on either the Pac-12 network or, um, you know, even they uh, archive them on YouTube now. So it's been easy to stay up with, and uh, just a really fascinating, it feels like Washington State's story is still being written. Their ascent, um, I think, is oh, yeah. still coming, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think once uh, you know, I, I knew I knew Leach from Texas Tech, obviously, and you had that team that beat Texas and the Michael Crabtree, Graham Harrell teams, and and how fun they were, and and that was kind of of Leach's ascension. And then you had kind of the uh, the sad end of that chapter at Texas Tech for you know we won't get into that, but um, you can look into why Mike Leach had to leave Texas Tech. But as soon as he came to Washington State, you know Pullman is a weird place. You're in the middle of of literally nowhere, and it's hard to get guys there. To, uh, from a recruiting standpoint, and so you kind of need need this wacky system. And Leach comes in, and, and he has exactly that. So as soon as it happened, I, I figured, just from like a, a you know a, a weirdness standpoint, I thought Pullman and 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 Mike were were a great fit. And you know he hasn't beat Washington yet, but 
you know, there's the, the success he's had there is, is, uh, you know, can't be questioned. He's, he's on the, got them on the, on the verge of, um, of a 10 win season of, of, you know, a string of bowls. So he's doing well there, but it's, it's kind of hard to, to get into exactly the, the, you know, kind of the, see how the sausage gets made with, with Leach's offense. Cause it's, it's definitely different. So, uh, we have you here to, to kind of explain the key characteristics of the offense. And so there's kind of from my vantage point, at least, there's there's a lot of different levels to this. The first one, and perhaps the most jarring to look at, that looks different than how any other offensive system plays, is the offensive line splits, meaning the distance between uh, essentially the the hips of each offensive lineman. Normally, they're they're pretty close to each other, just so as to to fill gaps. But Leach's lines are are much more spread out. What's what's the rationale for that? Well, they're not looking to kind of um, you know. Uh, kind of beat anybody off the line and and drive you back three yards. So their run game is very much like a parry for their pass game because their um, short passing game almost acts like the running game. So what they're looking to do is just have these really enormous guys with long wingspans uh, go out there and then the um, and just kind of fill space. Like you don't see a ton of guys coming from his uh, that have played under him going on to really good careers in the NFL. You know, it's just a different um, style of play. And right now they've got a left guard that's six foot nine, like three hundred and sixty-five pounds. This kid, uh, Cody o- um, O'Connell, who's like they call him the Mountain. He's a, he's a freak. But the, but the most practical reason they do that is they can get the ball out of his hands really quick if someone wants to shoot one of these wide gaps inside. And then also those really dynamic outside uh, pass rushers or rush linebackers or defensive ends are now instead of lining up uh, seven feet from the quarterback um, on the line, they're, they're actually end up being closer to 10 or 11 feet. So that, that provides you some space against kind of the biggest weapons. And then again, if, if they're going to commit guys in the blitz up the middle – they're going to either, um, you know, run a little bubble screen away from them or do something like that. So it doesn't hurt them there. Yeah, and, and so I was just kind of doing some reading myself, not to not to the level that, that you've got in, but uh, everything is in is is done for the reason of getting the quarterback into quick decisions and, and allowing it to be easier for them to make quick decisions. So literally, the offensive linemen are far apart, so that he can see the middle of the defense easier and see the middle of the field easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a great point too. Is everything? It, it's more it's more definitive because there's more space, you know. So wherever a guy's lining up, you don't just have this kind of you know three guys uh, over you know the the center guard and two guards and it's all within five feet. You know, you got a little space to kind of diagnose because that's one of the things about this system is it's it's the quarter it's very responsive to what the defense is doing, so it asks a lot from the quarterback. So yeah, uh, things like that help the quarterback a lot. Yeah, and and so from a recruiting standpoint, you know, you're looking at offensive linemen who look differently. You know, maybe looking at former tight ends or or guys who are more in the athletic mode where they can shift side to side more than they can drive people back, as you said. So um, it's a more specific type for recruiting, but you know, the realities of of Pullman and I don't know if if Leach would operate this way if he was recruiting it at USC or Texas, but. Uh, I think he's just it's easier to look for a specific type of guy and, and pluck those guys who who maybe not you know, don't have a laundry list of D1 offers. Yeah, and there's just, a, like, he's looking just big old boys across the across the front. So he's, you know, he's got, um, you know, I think that helps out West. There does seem to be, like, a whole, a whole bunch of them up in those mountain states. He gets a lot from in-state and Washington and then, uh, uh, you know, elsewhere out there. So. Yeah, we, we have we have Jack in the Box out in the West Coast. That's that's <laughs> our that's our calorie uh, production over there. Yeah, they're, they're well fed, for sure. 
Definitely. Um, so, the, so that's the that's the offensive line. Kind of gives you a, a, a glimpse into why uh, those Leach teams look like that when you watch them on Saturday. Uh, the next thing would be because we'll end on the quarterback and, and the skill positions, or I guess the the receivers there, because I think that's the big one. The role of the running back. I've, I've you know there seems to be tons of guys who have come through that Texas Tech system, or you know you watch Jamal Morrow play for Washington State. These are these are really great open field in space guys. They don't get the ball in, the, in a conventional sense. They're not getting handed off to 15, 20 times a game. Um, they're, they're more for a, for a specific utility. So what's the role of the running back look like in the, in the Leach offense? Well, it really comes down to how many guys you want to commit to the box because when they're running, so it's, it's, it's pretty simple, their formations. They have a five-wide outlook, and oftentimes Jamal Morrow will fill out as the um, – one of the slot receivers they have a four wide receiver look with primarily jamal morrow in the backfield and then they have a three wide out look when they'll have uh, jamal morrow and then james williams usually uh kind of flanking the quarterback and you usually see them out of the kind of four wide out look but what they're doing is they're just seeing how many defenders they commit to the box so if there's seven defenders in the box they're going to throw it and they're going to look for off coverage, maybe get something quick or those shallow crossers and, you know, see if you're a man um, that work against man or zone. But the, the running backs are kind of always going to be in space because they only run it when they have a numbers advantage. Um, so Jamal Morrow, who is not really like a between the tackles guy, um, you know, that's an advantage to him. And again, like, uh, and he also catches a lot of balls out of the backfield. Like you'll see uh, when they snap the ball and somebody lined up just next to the quarterback on a shotgun snap, just kind of sprints almost, it looks directly to the sideline just to create some space and keep the defense honest. Because if nobody comes up or if that flat guy tries to, you know, cover the under roots, you know, they're just going to give it to him. So it's, it's, you know, just very responsive because I don't, most of the runs are not called are audible to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's similar to, uh, you know, the Peyton Manning heyday years when he was in Denver just tearing teams up. You know, Sean Marino was pretty low on, on skill and ability at that point in his career, but would just feast because, you know, Manning would would audible into plays where there's five men in the box. Is, you know, you're going to get through this, you know, we're going to get into the second level pretty much on a guarantee. And so um, you, you, you just see all of that is kind of based on the quarterback. It's, it's reading the defense and and in a lot of different ways and and one of them is just how they use that run game which is you see Washington State you know have games where you know a Morrow or a Wicks would would take 20 20 carries or close to that which seems uncharacteristic but then they'll go games where there's they run the ball 10 times and as you're saying it's just a it's a product of what the defense shows yeah and last year they were definitely running a little more because I think last year it was uh Morrow, Williams, and Wicks all had right around 500, 500, yep. you know, 50 yards, and they ended up rushing as a team for like 1,800 and a half, um, you know, yards, and they, they were running a lot because I think teams were daring them to run, and they did, okay, we're not going to throw just for the sake of throwing. Like, this isn't just a throwing offense. If you're only going to play five guys in the box and play with a, you know, six, seven-man shell in the defensive back, like, we'll pick up five, six, you know, seven yards a jump for sure. So, um, because you're seeing the running is occurring at a less frequent basis, but I think that's because teams, you know, um, it's pick your poison, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no, there's, it's not random, but it's, it's, completely game dependent so so to expect a certain number for uh for washington state offenses or for a leech offense to to have a certain number of carries a game because they want to dictate the game uh that's just not that's not the reality right 
Yeah, and that's one of his big talking points is everybody talks about run-pass balance, and that's one of the things that he just thinks is an absolute, um, you know, sacred cow that has nothing behind it. Because he says what keeping people what balance really is is getting the ball to different parts of the field and making sure that the defense can't sleep on any one of those. So you know, for him, run passes is really secondary because again, a lot of those short passes will keep the defense that you know to make sure that they're running to both side sideline to sideline and then also you know take their shots deep. There we go. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's fascinating. There's always just some scat back for for uh, for the either Texas Tech teams or for Wazoo that um, that just seems to perfectly fill that role. And and uh, that that one to me would be the harder one to recruit to, um, in the sense that you know a running back they don't want to hear uh, you're going to be in pass protection or you're going to be running routes most of your time. So you're almost looking for the call or the high school you know slot receiver to play that role. Yeah, and they've got a couple guys that it'll be interesting to see when uh, Jamal leaves next year. Um, two really, for Division One size for sure, uh, small slot receivers in uh, Renard Bell um, and um, J- uh, Jamar Calvin, who are both guys that go about uh, Calvin goes like 150, which is just crazy to think as Division One. But I think uh, Bell is only like, you know, 165, 170. And there's just these guys that are, Almost like back in the day, like DeAnthony Thomas or these like kind of X factor guys, but catch the ball real well, but you know don't have traditional wide receiver measurables. So yeah. you could be very you know could be right that they're taking a non traditional approach to fill that role. Yeah, and I mean as as a as a human, you know that there are more normal sized people out there than there are these big hulking guys that that ended up going to top tier programs. So again, mm-hmm. you know everything is is great. It's its own system, but through the lens of of being perfect for Pullman. Uh, it just makes a lot of sense. So we'll move on to the next kind of position group. I would say tight end, but doesn't really exist in the Leech offense. Yeah, huh? exactly. Yeah, there, I, there's not a tight end on the roster. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things where you get to the one and you're still you know looking empty backfield type of thing. So um, mm-hmm. the throw convention out the window, tight end, fullback, not really a part of the offense. The receiver plays an integral part, but it doesn't doesn't it, the role of the receiver doesn't necessarily look the same way as it might for. I don't know, your your typical Calvin Johnson, Julio Jones type routes. Yeah, all their receivers kind of have to, you know, um, again, to keep the defense on. It's like their, uh, their, their default move is always those. If you're going to play 10 to 12 yards off, we're just going to throw him the ball real quick, and he's going to have to play like a running back in space, really. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they got to be tough. There's not guys that are just dedicated to blowing the top off the defense. they got a couple guys with some, you know, good top-end speed, so they can challenge a deep. But, um, you know, everybody is – he's just surveying the field, seeing what you're giving them, and, uh, you know, they're relying on those inside slot receivers primarily to kind of run those shallow crossers where if you get, you know, somebody's in man trail coverage, they're going to throw it out ahead of you give you some space to run and if you're playing against zone they're really gonna have to settle and they'll live with those you know five to seven yard uh catches yeah so you were talking we we talked a little bit before about there's there's a couple different routes that are that are mainstays of of the leech offense what are they yeah so it's that kind of that mesh that they call where the two receivers uh cross pass right in the middle of the field Mm -hmm. and then you've got this kind of what i call like a, a zone flood or like a three level route which uh chip kelly ran a whole bunch of and you just run um, you know, your receiver, your wide re- uh, receiver that's wide, um, run, you know, runs kind of a deep option pattern depending on the over coverage. Uh, he's going to the deep, deepest part of the field. 
and then you've got the slot to that side running a little like um, you know, they'll fake in and then come back out. And then you've got a, a running back or a receiver coming across the middle that's kind of going to the opposite flat. So it's just like you just make uh, the, the defense make a decision on uh, that side of the field um, about who, who they can cover. And it's kind of predetermined that they're they're going to that side of the field when it happens. Um, and then he'll have a little outlet, um, somebody flooding out to the um, – other flat just in case there's nothing nothing doing or they get covered by a linebacker or something yeah i mean as you were just describing the the typical route pattern there you're, you're imagining in your head you say you know you come in kick out kick out right kick out left you know you got you have receivers all over the field and so as a defense even if you do make a decision you know or or you play it perfectly to one side of the field well there's still you know the the way the offense functions is to utilize every inch of available running turf that, that those receivers have yeah, and and it's if you're gonna if you're gonna play zone on this, you've kind of got two levels to your zone, and they're putting three guys there. And then if you play man, there's gonna be an unfavorable matchup for you probably on the other side of the field. Just you know, in this case, tossing it off to Jamal Morrow or someone um, you know out of the backfield. So it does. It just makes you. It, it's pretty quick reads, and when when it's going well, it's really a thing of beauty. Um, but it's it's pretty basic. Like the craziest part is Mike Leach calls us off of like a, a play sheet that looks like a convenience store receipt. Like it's you know it might be probably, a convenience store receipt. Yeah, it very well could be. Yeah, but it's like four or five inches long, just a really thin. And you know that's they only have you know ten, twelve plays, but they're all kind of you can the the players make decisions on each right. one of them. So there's many. You know, it's like a decision tree. It starts uh, you know. Uh, Spreading, spreading is, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, you you have you have ten to twelve simple plays that you know you might look how they you know if you think about playing Madden or something you you toggle C back and you can see the play design, but think of all the different decisions that the quarterback has of the, you know there's five open receivers at any point or eligible receivers. Uh, the receivers themselves have different decisions to make. Um, you know, it's it's just a, it's a very flexible offense that just kind of you know reads the space of the defense that or it's reads the space that the defense has provided. So it's, um, it, it's, it, you kind of hinted at it, but it, it's a simple kind of beautiful machine when it gets going. Um, hopefully not too beautiful on Saturday, but, but it, it does have some, <laughs> does have <laughs> some aesthetic saying, to it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, cause I just think that and then one of my attractions to this and then Chip Kelly before it was, it just feels like football is getting so complex to the point of like almost it feels like when people in certain really um, specific fields start to create jargon that doesn't really – it's like complexity for the sake of complexity. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Mike Leach is a breath of fresh air and that it's all very comprehensible. Right. So <laughs> you know? if and you, it's just yeah, – Yeah. If you're, uh, if you're listening at work or something and just think about the word that your boss has started to use uh, more often than, than he used to or she used to, uh, that, that's, that's the kind of – over complication of what's happening to college football. Yeah, and I think when you get to the pros, you know, you got time. It's a full time job, but in college, you got a four year limit. No matter who you work with, or a five with a red shirt, but you got to be able to communicate it very quickly. Right. Um, and and you know, Washington State right now, uh, nobody that for, I think there's one receiver that occasionally gets on the field, 
for them, but they're not thrown to any seniors, you know, so these are all underclassmen who have, like, picked it up pretty quick, and, you know, it, it bodes well for the future. Yeah, I mean, the the two big guys for, for Wazoo over the last couple of years were Vince Mail and River Craycraft. Uh, Mail's trying to cut it in the NFL right now. Craycraft is, um, you know, coming off an injury. His, I think his, his football playing days might be over, but um, yeah, so so the the next wave of guys is coming in, and and I've always said if they you know look at what they did with Crabtree once they had that guy that was an elite NFL talent, um, it was it was scary to watch. So uh, more to come as kind of this this Wazoo national profile builds. It is scary that you know some kid who who might consider going to you know one of the bigger schools can say hey I can. I can rack up a ton of volume um, to my profile and just be this statistical monster and, and, and learn a lot about route concepts and things like that. So I always think about that. Um, so we'll see if that ever happens or, or you know, kind of wait for when it when it does happen. Last thing we'll yeah. talk about. Oh, what, you got something well, there? I was just going to say that they just they, they spread the ball around. They got five guys with 45 or more catches, and they've got uh, nine guys with uh, 19 or more catches. So it's um, – you know, you're going to get the ball, and you're going to get an opportunity to play pretty early. Yeah, uh, if, if you play there. Yeah, and I think off the top of my head, I'll I'll do a quick double check of this, but uh, the only uh, the only Washington player over 45 catches would be Dante Pettis, and the rest is, I mean, the next closest is 22. So if you think about just the wow. the volume of of balls that are getting, you know coming to everyone that's involved in that Wazoo passing game is is just higher. Uh, obviously, you know, Edub's got. Got uh, Wazoo beat five to one in the carries department, but um, you know that's that's just kind of the the trade off there. So last thing we'll talk about is is the quarterback because you know this is kind of the the straw that stirs the drink. If, if you don't have one of these, it's a it's a hard system to pull off. Um, Wazoo has found one. Luke Falk is a guy that that kind of cultivated within within Leach's system has been there from the start, um, and he's really thrived. Falk this year though he's he's down. Last year was you know we talked about the receivers leaving, but last year is fourth in the nation in passing yards. He was 77th in yards per attempt. Both of those numbers are down relative to the competition. He's 12th in passing yards, and his yards per attempt uh, have dipped as well. Is is that just attributed to the receivers, or has Falk kind of taken a, a downturn this year? Yeah, well, he, he just had a really funny year because he got um, he got he's gotten taken out of a couple games um, because the way Mike Leach says it is that he's just he overanalyzes. Things like he's a real intelligent, obviously student of the game. Works his way up from being a, uh, you know, a, he's kind of a recruited walk-on, but he's, you know, he earned a scholarship and he did all that. Uh, but he, you know, he clearly like he listens, to, uh, you know, tapes of the play calls before the game to get really in the zone. He's really conscious of what he eats, a la Tom Brady. Um, but you know, sometimes is I think what he was forgetting is that why Mike Leach has had success at many different levels is because. It can, it's kind of a simple system, and you got to trust your arm. You got to, you know, sling it. And I think Luke Falk alternately has like a perfectionist streak, so he holds onto the ball way too long, and then other times he just gets it in his head that he can, because he is a very accurate quarterback, especially kind of up to you know probably 17, 20 yards downfield. Um, but he gets it in his head; he's going to fit it into a shoebox downfield and throws it to double coverage. So he's kind of this oh, no, I'm not going to throw it unless it's perfect, and then, or I'm going to fire it through there. And he was having trouble, and, and in both instances, his backup, this kid, uh, Tyler Helinski, who's a redshirt sophomore, came in and, and acquitted himself quite well. I think in uh, the Boise State game and then the Arizona game, you know, he had over 500 yards passing. And in the Arizona game, he didn't come in until, you know, four minutes left in the second quarter or something like that. So 
Uh, yeah, he ended up with with sixty pass attempts in in that short of amount of time. So uh, yeah, he uh, he's a guy that you we've talked about before. But but as as good as Falk is, and as you know, tailor made for the system as Falk seems to be, at least from a from a you know skill perspective, he you know he's great at that short, quick passing game. You think Helinski can unlock this this kind of new dimension to their to their team? Yeah, well, I just I, I really think highly of the read option. I think we're starting to see it in the NFL, and just how challenging that is on um, you know defenses and, and protecting that edge and being honest and not uh, over pursuing. And what Tyler Olinsky does is he he's not you know a tremendous dual threat, but he you know he can move much better and much more fluidly than uh, Luke Falk, and he has been a threat because uh, sometimes this offense can really bog down inside the twenty. Um, you know, it's really good 20 to uh, 20 yard line to 20 yard line because there's so much space. But then when the defense is on you and you're, they know you're not going to try to really, you know, bust it up the gut. You don't really have any goal line offense to speak. Um, having that quarterback, the threat of the quarterback kind of leaking out and, you know, uh, threatening you. Because even when it looks like it's open for Luke Falk, those, you know, those just close up so quickly. Right. So I think moving forward, Luke Falk was a really important, pivotal, uh, you know, growing because I think you needed some stability that Luke Falk provided for this team to grow but I think as time moves forward I think you're going to want a little more athleticism in that spot just so you can you know almost have two backs with with only one half back lined up next to you and then helping you helping you out the red zone so you know that being said I think Luke Falk's going to get drafted and I do see him kind of uh yeah I'm I'm not gonna (laughs) but he's kind of like a Sean Mannion or someone like that yeah like a guy that really commanded the offense wasn't was more accurate than he was like a strong arm but a big you know big tall kid uh kind of has those measurables and um I, you know i could see him catching on in a system and you know if he could if he could play under tom brady for two three years i think you know he could be interesting because he seems like he's going to take it serious and uh you know try to try to get better and stronger and you know improve his arm strength and, and do all those things but right now in terms of the college game um I just love when the quarterback can just threaten threaten the edge a little bit. Right. Yeah. I I, I worry if if uh, if Falk does get to New England and is is Brady's backup. If he already eats like him, I, I would worry that he would think that he also can't get concussions or sunburned or any, <laughs> any of the beliefs that that Tom Brady has or um, some of his other leanings. But uh, yeah, I think a lot of these guys, you know, from the spread system, you, you know, look at Texas Tech's history, you know, Graham Harrell was, was the, you know, the, the golden boy of that system in, in the tech heyday. Uh, Harrell had a, a brief cup of coffee for the Packers as a backup and is now a coach. Um, but you really haven't seen the, the kind of NFL success yet. And do you think that's because the, the, the spread game isn't, isn't doesn't look like a lot of the offenses the NFL runs and the NFL is kind of lagging behind in terms of thinking like this, or is it just it's not analogous to higher level football? Um, I mean that's a question I always I always kind of side with. I think things can be, I think things can succeed at, at uh, you know multiple levels, um, but I don't think they've been getting the blue chip recruits. I don't think they've been around long enough to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know. I don't really know, but I, I do think if you know Mike Leach can have some success, I think that we're already seeing that you know so many guys in the NFL were saying, "Oh, the read option won't work. The read option won't work," and now you're seeing like the success Carson Wentz is having and the success Deshaun Watson um, was having. And again, it's a wrinkle; it's not your primary thing, but it just causes the defense to to account for the quarterback in a way that traditional drop back um, 
quarterbacks don't. So I do think we're seeing some evolution, and I do mm-hmm. think it could work. But again, you know, I think when you get to playing on Sundays, and this is this, these are grown men's full time jobs, and they're getting paid handsomely to do it. I think the, the level of complexity and defensive schemes you can do to, to draw it up, you know, increase as well. So this could be, uh, you know, it could meet its match when it's it's um, when people are preparing full-time for it, for sure. Yeah, it, it might have a have a peak of, of being a, a really, you know, a, the high school I went to runs basically the same sort of thing or has now kind of moved to a, a more running version. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's it might have a peak in, in high school and college when you can kind of – there's a certain level of athleticism that, that you are you know you're not going to have to play above that and, and you can kind of feast on that. But once once the athletes start looking like, uh, like they do in, in the NFL – uh, it makes it it makes it much more difficult. But um, this yeah. is this is great. Do you do you have a do you have a, a quick prediction for the Apple Cup? I know you're you know very distant away yeah, from the rivalry, yeah, but funny. I mean, for Washington State's uh, sake, just to, for the ride to continue, I'm, I'm hoping they're winning. But uh, I mean, I don't know. I think we could put up 35. <laughs> yeah, it, it scares me that you're saying we and that we're still friends, but that's yeah, yeah. Oh well, and, and we in a very loose. I mean, I have. Next year it'll be somebody else, I'm sure. But uh, yeah. so it is a very tangential. Um, like unlike you, I will not be. I, I don't take the Washington State losses as hard as uh, as some other teams. Yeah, but I I think things are looking up for them, and I I uh, I mean when they're go they're grooving they're grooving and their defense is dangerous, but they're a little small up front and they do a lot of stunting. So I think you know if you can if you can use that against them. Um, and they they're really thin at linebacker. They lost a whole bunch of a whole slew of upperclassmen. So I, I don't think this is the team that's really going to break through for Washington State. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to. I'm going to be interested to see what Washington brings to the table because I haven't. I have not been following the league at large. Yeah, it's uh, we we've had we've had Leach's number, and last year in the, in the the game in Pullman, Falk threw three picks, and you know part of that was the you know the, I think the defense last year was just a little bit more uh, designed to produce turnovers. You're either throwing at an NFL guy or not throwing at an NFL guy for a specific reason, and you know that t- types of decision making leads to turnovers. So. Uh, yeah. The UW defense isn't designed like that this year, so we'll see. Uh, I think the the Seattle nod and and just kind of the uh, you know the, the 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 momentum coming from the Utah game, I think I think UW's going to take it. But um, you know that that might just be <laughs> some some internal bias that I can never relinquish. Yeah, cool. Well, it'll be fun to see a whole game of uh, Washington, and we can uh, you know chat about that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, thanks for having me on, and I hope this was like comprehensible. I know it's like <laughs> yeah, I, th- I a think a lot of. Uh, a lot of info. I think we did a good job. It, it uh, you know, it'll show show people what they're looking at when they watch on Saturday. So, uh, and, thank- and he's a char- like he's a total character. If you ever look up, you know, he's just got wild quotes and he's real esoteric. Like, yeah, he's interested in pirates and oh yeah. Uh, jer- he wrote a book about Geronimo. And, yeah, he's he's, just, he's he's certified he's nuts. A uh, but yeah, uh, he's a, and he's a law professor. Like he's <laughs> or uh, not a professor. He, he did teach some classes, I guess, at the first school he was at. But he did graduate from law school, so he's a he is, he's an interesting cat for sure. He has watched Law and Order before. I think is yeah. is the the correct <laughs> addendum there. So uh, yeah, thanks Sam for coming on. Uh, definitely, I learned a lot. I hope I hope everyone listening did as well. Um, we'll uh, we'll see what happens Saturday. Last but certainly not least is my old rush chair from when I was a frat guy in a past life. All the way from London, Mr. Jack Seidel. Jack is a is somewhat of a UW historian, and he'll break down his top five Apple Cups heading into what should be an all-time classic in Seattle on Saturday. Enjoy. Enjoy.
Welcome to a first on the Boyd Meets World podcast, where we are connecting internationally with the great Jackson Blake Seidel. Jack, how are you doing, my man? Very good, my man. Big week. Big week. Last time we spoke um, was in the midst of the Seahawks getting their, their tails kicked in by the, the Falcons, and then the time before that was right before uh, UW was about to get their tails kicked in by Alabama. So we have a really good track record with this. Um, I didn't remember that, but yeah, I... How did we fare last week or last year on our picks with Bama? Did we did we think we were gonna win? I think we out yeah, I think we kinda we we were, we had some strong Kool-Aid before we before we got going in there. Um I, I I don't think we were ready for that game. I, I I think we outlined a strategy for UW to win, which I don't think was that far off from potential reality. But there was just there was no way that Jake Browning was gonna just air it out on one shoulder and, and make it happen. I, th- I think the consensus was like, we needed to play an absolutely perfect game, and then we still might not win. Yeah. And we didn't play a perfect game, and we got stopped. So yeah. it was like... Yeah, like, the throw to Pettis for the touchdown had to happen, like, ten more times <laughs> in that game. Maybe maybe more. And yeah. it didn't. Yeah. Uh, anyways, happier days, kind of. We're, we're in the midst of a, of a somewhat of a disappointing season, but still awesome relative to... Uh, the doldrums of Husky football over the last decade or so. Jack and I are here to talk about the the 110th Apple Cup, and not really about the 110th Apple Cup, but every Apple Cup that's before then. We're here to talk about what are the the top five Apple Cups that that we can remember. So, like in the the, the millennial range of of you know 2000 on, um, the the best Apple Cups that we've had. There's been plenty of good ones, um, both in UW wins and in losses. There's there's some that, that stick out more than others for just being absolutely miserable, and then there's just some some epic games that have been in there. So we're going to rank those. Um, generally, though, before we get into this, what are your thoughts going into to this this current version? Is how does if this game just were on hype alone, this has got to be like the the top Apple Cup that you can remember going into it, right? I think so. I think. Last year was comparable because A, the game was in Pullman and like the Cougs were feeling themselves that year and like just anecdotally based upon my Washington State friends, like they were feeling themselves. They, they really thought that they had a good chance of winning that game, which of course they didn't. Uh, but yeah, I would say in terms of parity, this is probably like the best Apple Cup that there's been in like probably, like I, I think probably in my lifetime, maybe since like the 90s. Uh, I mean, we've had Apple Cups where both teams have been equal, but that was like last year when they were both the worst teams in the Pac-12. But uh, yeah, this should be a good one. Yeah, this is the first time since 1962 that both teams are in the top 15 heading into the game, which is pretty awesome. So there's been there's been plenty of moments where one team is a win away from the Rose Bowl or... Uh, you know, both teams are bowl, bowl contenders, but one is, is looking at a Rose Bowl or something like that. But I think both teams are looking at basically the same set of circumstances um, heading into this. And UW gets the, the opportunity to play spoiler, which uh, has a theme with, with probably our consensus number one game on this list. So exciting time heading into to Saturday, 5 p.m. kickoff. But um, that one's yet to be played. We're going to talk about games that haven't been played yet. Jack, what is your fifth most exciting, best Apple Cup that you can ever remember? So, the, kind of the criteria that I use for this is, there's a few different ones. One is, what was at stake for the Huskies in the game? Uh, second is, what was at stake for the Cougars in the game? And, and in addition to that, like, 
how confident did the Cougs come into the game, and were the Huskies able to stop that? Uh, and then I think the third is like just what was the quality of the game? Was it exciting? Uh, I also have this like particular bias probably towards games that I attended. Um, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna start number five off with a game that the Huskies actually lost. Uh, a game that I know you also attended, um, which was at Husky Stadium back in 2007. Um, so I remember this game very clearly because it started with a Lewis Rankin kickoff return for a touchdown. Um, Hell yeah. Rankin was a pretty bad running back for the most part, but uh, that guy had breakaway speed. Like when he really got going, he was exciting to watch. Um, and I remember that game that reason, in addition to just a couple of ridiculous Jake Locker touchdowns uh, back when he was a freshman and everything he did, like he could do no wrong. Uh, what are what are the big standout memories that you have from that game? Yeah, so I just I just put the uh, the game on YouTube and, and how it ends is is uh, quarterback Alex Brink, who I think played at Wazoo for for twelve years, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Um, right. Final minute of the game, it's like forty seconds left. Uh, in a in a pretty disappointing season for for UW, they're four and seven going into the game, and Brink just literally chucks it downfield to not just like an open Brandon Gibson who ended up playing in the NFL, pretty good receiver at Wazoo, but like he's open by twenty five yards, uh, f- like for a touchdown, and that that puts them on top. Not enough time left in the game for for UW to come back, end up winning forty thirty five, but just the the. The like I was in the stands in like row eleven I think in that in that end zone that Brandon Gibson scored in and I think I was closer to him than the next closest uh, UW defender on that play. So I, I looked up this 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 final touchdown again and like I, I think this is basically just a microcosm of how miserable our program was at the time that he doesn't run any kind of it doesn't look like he runs any kind of complicated route he just ran a simple post and burned. Everyone. Like, whoever our corners, who are, like, who have been marking people, like, Quinn Richardson or... Roy Lewis, uh, I think, was still Mesmer. around. Oh, it was Roy Lewis. Yeah, Roy Lewis on the other side of the field. I believe it is Mez and Forrester that, that acts as kind of the uh, the subway gate to let him through. Like, Gibson just shows his his, uh, his tee pass, and then he just runs right on down the field. What a disaster. Yeah. Um, but Brink, so, so Brink is interesting because he, like, Wazoo was horrible when he was quarterback there um but he won three apple cups so like he's definitely cutting about his weight i think in terms of wasi history uh in large part because of that game i would think yeah it was it was definitely fertile ground there were there were apple cups to be had um because like you said abysmal state of the program uh looking back on that footage though it's it's fun because it's the old like fsn camera days and it's the camera's just wobbling and it's it's two parts like husky stadium was was rickety and kind of loud but then it's just also fsn's technology could not handle the uh, the stadium scenario there, so it's always good back good to look back and just how far the viewing experience has changed in in ten years. I don't even know if there was a first down line on the on the screen as you were watching that game. Yeah. So many good memories from uh, from the mid aughts, Boyd. Yeah, and then they went to uh, to Hawaii the next week and lost lost in another game similar. So it was that was a that was a fun year. Lots of points, lots of giving up points, but. I would have taken that after the uh, the 2006 year, where or 2000. No, the next year is when they scored like eight offensive touchdowns the whole year. Wow. Yeah, uh, that got dark. Anyways, number four on your list. All right, so number four, I'm gonna go with uh, with last year, so 2016. So 
Um, obviously, this was a massive game for the Dogs um, as we were trying to get into to Pac-12 championship and obviously compete for the playoff. Um, I think this game also has a couple extra elements for me that make it special. One, it's it was in Pullman, and the Cougars were also ranked. Uh, and like we talked about earlier, they like really thought they had a good chance of winning this game. Uh, I would say my Cook friends on our group chat that week were like feeling relatively confident that they were going to play spoiler to the Huskies uh, in Pullman. They were going to beat us. They were going to rush the field. Uh, and we just the game was over by the end of the first quarter. Yeah. Like, we hit like Gaskin. I think Gaskin had a touchdown. Pettis had a long touchdown. We hit Ross for a touchdown. We had a turnover. And it was 28-3 to at the end of the first quarter. And then, like, by the end of half, it was still a 25-point game. Like, I, it was just it was so satisfying when the Cougs really thought, like, you get their hopes up and then you just crush their hopes. Uh, it's just a classic, like, big brother beating up on the little brother. Yeah, that's that's a good one. It, the, the game itself wasn't good, but I think that's that's the point, given the expectations the Cougs had give, coming into that game. Um, and just... How, how how talented that UW team and how how just kind of you watch them now and just that quick strike firepower that last year's team had uh, does not exist with this year's team and that's that's too bad but um, yeah I mean the forty five seventeen final in a game where both teams in theory could have played for the the Pac twelve North um, or could have represented the conference in the championship the next week uh, but it, there was just it was just a great line in the sand of like hey we are still miles better than you guys uh, even though this is your best shot in in a long time to to do something big so yeah that was the the quality of the game was was subpar but like i said that was that was kind of the point and, and like i was again i was going back and watching some some youtube highlights of, of mostly the first half of that game but like man the rhythm that we had on offense i mean i know it's we have short memory like forgotten it now but like this was just a year ago and our offense was just so so smooth i mean and everyone was getting involved like gaskin had a touchdown but coleman had a touchdown pettis had a couple of touchdowns we hit john ross on just like this beautiful fade right to the back right corner of the end zone it was just like a perfectly thrown ball browning was just looking so confident um so yeah it was, i mean it was a special win and like i think given where the program had been just finally like capping that Pac-12 North title was just, um, I mean, it was just sort of the, the crystallization of, of the choice that we made with Peterson. Yeah, I was just about to say that. That's a game Sark totally would have lost. Uh, just just a For game sure. a game where we would have probably been up maybe 28-3 in that first quarter or something similar, but just would have decomposed throughout the next three quarters and, and ended up at a, at a bar somewhere in Pullman. Yeah, probably Mike's. Probably Mike's. Mike's dancing for him. Fantastic, fantastic location. Uh, yeah, th- that was oh – God, I just get so sad thinking about last year's offense. It just seems like we could score in five plays. If you gave us five plays and said you have to score in five plays, we could do it in so many different ways. And I don't think that this year's team could uh, could accomplish the same feat. So that's, that's too bad. Um, but, oh well, we're still, we're still uh, again, <laughs> relative to 2007, we're, we're doing fine. Um, Putting a cap on number four, moving into number three, what is your third best Apple Cup that you can remember? So, so we're going a little further back for number three. We're going to go back to 2003. Um, back when, like, I guess this was a point 
this was the beginning of the end of sort of the 90s, like Jim when I read it with the Heisler, uh, where we were really starting to go downhill. But, uh, but it was game, this was at Husky Stadium um, against, like, top 10 ranked Cougs. Um, and it just has, like, one of the best, one of the all-time Bob Rondo calls when, uh, when we hit Corey Williams in the end zone to, to go up um, with, what, like a minute left. Yeah, yeah, it was it was just about a minute. They were down six, or down five, actually, in a nineteen fourteen game. So that kind of a wacky game going on, and uh, Pickett just tosses it up to Corey Williams, and that led to Corey Williams for like another three years. People being like, "When's Corey Williams going to break out?" I think Corey Williams is like, "Guys, come on! I I did all I needed to do. I'm a legend um, now." Uh, yeah, and by the way, if, if you're listening and. It, Look, this is Bob Rondo's last season. Uh, we got we got to soak him up while we can. Wanted to listen to an all-time Bob Rondo call him just going absolutely ape shit. Just go on YouTube and find the clip of him calling Corey Williams touchdown, and his voice gets really high pitched, like it's really sort of raspy. You know how it gets. Uh, just a classic. Yeah, I, I don't know what would have to happen to get me as excited as Bob Rondo. I mean like can get excited but then also maintain professionalism i can get that excited but there would definitely be profanity in it uh yeah i mean it might involve some illegal substances yeah yeah that would induce a lot of that excitement as well so but then also the other great play is when coops were coming down like trying to come back and win and they threw the pick six to to marquise cooper yeah uh, who took it in and it was just like the ice on the cake and it's the second year in a row where we were definitely playing the spoiler, and this time, obviously, at Husky Stadium. Um, again, just like a, there's a, there's always an element when the Cougars either are favorites or are feeling confident, and we're able to put them down. That just has like an extra element of sort of like like smug smug UWness to it. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I I remember leaving that game. I was ten years well. Yeah, ten years old at the time, and yeah, and so I uh, I remember like my my dad was talking to like some of his friends on the way back, and usually I'm I mean like I'm a child at this point I'm not not adding anything to the conversation, but I I remember bringing up a point being like Reggie Williams was solid today he really helped move the chains, and my friends my dad's friends like looked at me like, okay yeah you're you're absolutely right like <laughs> thank you for for adding to that so that was that was like woke sports fanness, or at least Husky fanness, uh, happening right before my eyes. Only hot takes from Mr. Boyd. That wasn't even hot. It was just, it was just me getting personal <laughs> with, my, with, my, you know, with my 15 fans that I have. I need to connect with them more. Uh, that's what the ratings are telling me. Got to connect with your fans more. Uh, moving on to number two. Top two here. What do we got? All right. So number two is actually my favorite Apple Cup, personally. It's just... Because I was at this game. Freshman year, man. 2010. 2010. So, yeah. So, my freshman year at UW, um, we are really, like, pretty a pretty average team that year. But we enter – so, we started that at year three and six. And then we beat UCLA and beat Cal. So, entering the Apple Cup in Pullman, we had the chance to go to the bowl game for the first time, I think, in – it was seven – either seven or eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember it was, like, snowing in Pullman – way below freezing, um, and just an epic game. I mean, it had Chris Polk, who 
I still remember this number. I had 284 yards of total offense. Dead on. And was just in, like, peak Chris, Chris Polk form. Just defenders bouncing off of him all over the field. Uh, Jermaine Curse had a couple absolutely amazing plays. Um, Jake was on fire. And uh, and obviously the finish with, with Jermaine, who else, catching the game-winning touchdown right in our end zone. Uh to, to win the game and then us rushing the field in Pullman like as an 18 year old idiot frat bro was uh was just like that's one of my best memories of college for sure yeah congrats to you man for remembering a, a moment with that much detail about freshman year of college that's it's <laughs> not not everyone can say that um, especially in Pullman that's like a really small Venn diagram where, where those all three th- three all three of those things are true Yeah. And, and by the way, this also is one of my favorite Jake Locker plays of his entire career, which is the play in the first quarter. It was like the first drive of the game when he did like a read option and took it up the right side, like 70 yards. Untouched. Untouched. And it was called back for a penalty, so it doesn't even count. Like, you never see it as one of his touchdowns. But, like, if anyone needs proof that he is, like, probably the most athletic quarterback to ever come out of the Pac-12, sorry to Marcus Mariota, uh, like, just watch that play. Like, he literally just outruns the Washington State secondary by a mile. Yeah. Remarkable. Yeah, he, he was he was absolutely spectacular um, as a runner of the football. But, yeah, just, the Jake Locker pod will have to be for a different day. But, yeah, that was that was an awesome game, if nothing else, because that game was on Versus, uh, which <laughs> I think is, like, the last broadcast that Versus ever did before it folded to the network. So um, a real historical landmark of a game. I didn't even – I mean, I guess I was at the game. Yeah, you, you had no reason to, I, to worry about the broadcast. I literally didn't – I forgot that the network ever existed. Channel 34 back in the day. Uh, but not to, not to go on about this, but – it also had another game-winning touch by Jermaine Curse, which, like, in the lore of Seattle sports history, should not be shocking to anybody. Uh, but he was just, like, in his most swaggy form, just, like, uh, dragging his feet after every touchdown. And it was just, like, poetic justice that it would be Jake to curse to, to put Edub, like, back on the map in terms of uh, bowl games. Yeah, he had, like, the perfectly placed uh, cool guy towel in the in the in the, the pants over oh, over yeah. you know what i mean like he he had he had just mastered swag um had the turtleneck going yeah oh yeah it was there's a lot of great stuff there i mean jermaine curse we could go on we could do a whole pod on jermaine curse yeah uh, the pros and the cons j-e-t-s sad 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 uh number one the moment we've all been waiting for um i haven't been waiting that long because i know exactly what it is but someone someone listening might <laughs> Um, so, I mean, it's got to be 2002. I think a lot of Husky fans, and at least under the age of, like, 40, would agree on this. Um, not because there was a lot riding for the Huskies. We were a pretty average team that year, but uh, but because there was so much riding for the Cougars. So they entered the game number three in the country, um, obviously looking to go to the Rose Bowl. But at that point, they were also thinking, like, hey, we might have a chance at actually going to the national championship again of going to the national championship when we win. And uh, Triple OT game, uh, it ends on like an extremely controversial play. By the way, this is in Pullman, where uh, Matt Cagle like throws a backwards pass, and then it was, it was rule of fumble that was recovered by Kai Ellis, but then like, 
they thought it, they were arguing that it was an incompletion and, and they should keep the ball. Um, and then it was just followed by absolute mayhem at, at Martin Stadium. And then the camera pans away, and you could, and then if you if you were at the game, you could tell that the the refs just literally flipped a coin and decided you should you should win that game. Yeah, it's it, um, so just like the the the, the epitome of. Washington State having like a glimmer of hope in their pathetic history of football, really thinking, hey, we're going to win this game at home, we're going to win the Pac-10 at the time, and go to the national championship. And to lose in that fashion has got to just be like the most devastating loss in the history of their program, right? Yeah, I mean... Anything worse than that. They they had already lost uh, Jason Gesser as their quarterback in that season, and he was, he was their their spirit force driving them forward. And, and so he was hurt. And so the two quarterbacks that played in, in that game for Wazoo were uh, Josh Swagger and Matt Kegel, which is just two awful, nice. awful names. Like those, those are names that get you stuffed into lockers. Um, but they, they were, you know, they were, they were UW's or Wazoo's quarterbacks for that game. Um, for all intents and purposes, probably should have won that game. I think they were driving with the ball, with the lead. And then, uh, Mike Price, Wazoo coach slash Alabama strip club enthusiast, um, just decides, hey, we're going to throw a go route on the sideline. And, and who was there to intercept that go, go route? But uh, the, the defensive back at the time, Nate Robinson. Um, oh, yeah. There. Yeah. So that was, that was um, another you – you want testimony to a guy's athleticism. Watch Nate Robinson come down with that ball. Um, oh, yeah. Just, just way up in the air, like fully yeah, he did other cool stuff too, but that one was was especially amazing. And uh, so yeah, that got you have the ball back to tie the game, uh, and then got it to overtime where where the uh, the event that you just that you just described happened. Uh, can you recite the exact call that was made as, at the end of that game? Um, I cannot. Yeah, no, you can. I, I I can. I mean, anyone could be like, oh, you got a computer screen in front of you, whatever. It's it's Washington or the, ru- the ruling on the field is that it was a backwards pass. Washington recovered that backwards pass, and the game is over. That's it. Um, but it just shows you like there was no replay. There was no way for them to actually decide a very like tricky call and with any actuality and say that's that's really what happened. And that's that's just how games would end back then. Like there was no there was no way to do it other than what the refs actually called. And then, I mean, and then, of course, the mayhem after that call of, like, blacked-out, vengeful Wazoo fans just going crazy. Like, throwing, like, bottles onto the field. Like, they hit a bunch of UW players. Barbara Hedges, who was the AD at the time, said she feared for her life. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I, there's got to be a great oral history out there for UW nerds that maybe Adam Jude needs to write of, like, finding 10 UW fans at that game and, like, writing an oral history about everything that happened after that game. Yeah, it's it's just, a, it's like a 10-chapter story where each chapter is about someone getting to their car after the end of that game. Just, like, what what it would have taken to leave Martin Stadium. Because everyone's there. It's, like, I've been at Martin Stadium at the end of a blowout and everyone's gone. Like, you can, you can hang out and dance all you want. You no know, one gives a shit, but in in the middle of that game where it's that important of a game and it just ends abruptly on a questionable call, good good god. I mean, look, my, my sister went to the 2006 game in Pullman when 
we won, but both teams sucked. And like she remembers walking home after the game, and like some pull, like some Pullman guys were basically just told to her and her friends, like, "Hey, like you guys got to find a new way home. You can't take this road." And and that was in 06. That was a meaningless Apple Cup. Like, can you imagine what 02 must have been like? Yeah, it's it's pretty hostile, man. You you, you got to play it safe down there. You can't you can't come in guns blazing. And I'm I'm sure I'm sure your sister was not going in that way. Um, however, it's just yeah, it's it's uh, it's hostile territory. But yeah, a memorable Apple I mean, just just down down in the Lord. Yeah, that that's a uh, that's a timeless game. That's that's the clear top. Like there might be some some ambiguity between what the other ones are in this in this ranking, but that is that is the iconic Apple Cup. People a little bit older than us might might suggest that there's some snowballs um, that involve Drew Bledsoe and you know Brock Heward. Yeah, Spider Gains, that stuff. Look, we don't remember it. Didn't happen. We're we're just talking about from 2000 on, and I think we picked a, a damn good list here. So uh, so how are we feeling? I I will say I do think this year has a lot of the makings of a really classic Apple Cup if it's a good game and the Huskies win because we are. It's weird, you know. We're at home. I feel like we should win. We're probably going to be favored in the game, but we're also playing the spoilers, and the Kooks are definitely feeling themselves coming into this week and coming off a bye, I think. So I feel like this, you know, depending on how how the scoreboard turns out at the end of the game, this like this could be this has all the makings of a really classic Huskies Apple Cup. Yeah, I think Peterson is three and zero in Apple Cups by a score of let's see, a hundred. 121 to 40, which is just pretty impressive. Three to one margin. Um, so I, I, I don't think Peterson is necessarily like stumped by Leach. I, I, I don't think that happens. Um, and last year's team, it was kind of, I mean, I guess Wazoo, if they would have won, would have won the Pac-12 North, which is no different than, than this scenario here. But it's also... Back in Seattle, I, I I just I don't see it happening. I'm I'm not I'm not looking through purple colored glasses here. I just um, I th- I think I think Peterson has Leach's number. I agree, although and some great mojo after last week. I agree. My only pushback on that would be a we have a ton more injuries, particularly in our secondary, which is like the last two or three years how we've really matched up well with them, uh, and b like the Cougs are definitely playing for more than we are. Even though we're ranked 16 in the country, like we still got a lot to play for. Like they, they truly are playing for not just revenge, not to just to break the what four-year outcome streak, but also play in their first Pac-12 championship. Yeah, yeah. Either way, I'm I'm all for the uh, the hype going into it. It gets gets the eyes turned to the uh, upper left corner of the north of the of the country, and that's that's never a bad thing for college football. I always said once they got Leach, I was like, it's it's not a bad thing if Wazoo is good, as long as we beat I don't them. Know. As long as we beat them, it's all good. So I'm always I'm always down for the Cooks to do well as long as they don't as long as they don't uh, get ahead of you know. Yeah, as long as they don't do too well, right? Let's let's just a cap on it. So uh, we are in agreement there. Jack, it was great to talk to you. Um, hopefully we uh, we snap our streak of, of talking about games that end up in tragic losses. Yeah, let's do it. Well go go dogs, boys. Alright man, go to bed. It's it's late in London. Yeah, pack twelve after dark. <laughs> there we go. Alright, take it easy. Too complex. Too complex. Too 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 complex. Too 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 complex.